Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Baltimore has a beautifully developed waterfront, a gorgeous aquarium, one of the country's most prestigious medical schools. But the city also has a lot of problems. Nearly a quarter of its residents live in poverty. The city's homicide rate hit an all-time high last year. And it is one of the highest rates of violent crime in the entire country. Alethea has spent most of her life there, when we met, she lived in a cramped apartment on the western edge of the city. I would, you know, keep most of the lights on, stuff like that, because I used to be scared to be in the house. Or I was always coming down throughout the night, checking out the house, making sure nobody broke the glass to get in. Her place had a lot of problems. The roof leaking real bad. It's raining in my room. Her landlord took months to fix the leak. When he finally did, she had mold growing across her bedroom wall. But the landlord just painted over it, even though she lived there with her three-year-old son, Jeremiah. Alethea spent a lot of time worrying about Jeremiah, about the conditions inside her apartment, and about the violence outside her door. I see women who lost kids and everything, and that's why I want to get out of here. Alethea was desperate to leave, and she was in luck. Because her city is running a policy experiment, a housing program that moves longtime residents out of Baltimore. The program includes a series of workshops. We met Alethea at her first one, orientation. There were a few dozen people packed into a classroom, sitting at desks in neat rows. They all faced a screen where the trainer projected her presentation. We're giving you an opportunity to go live somewhere in a little bit more peace for right now, while our city is being repaired, right? Her name is Alnita Shirell, but everyone here addresses her like a teacher. She's Miss Shirell. If you have children that you think may be resistant, use the information that we talk about in the workshops to talk to your children. The worst thing you can do is possibly leave a teenager here in this city and you move into the county. Last year was one of those years when I had to sit across the table from various mothers who did just that, and it did not fare well. Those children are not here anymore. The FBI recently came out with the homicide study. It looked at the country's largest cities over the last year. Multiple shots fired in the 700 block of Mellow Court late Thursday night. Police say two victims are 18, the other 27. Baltimore? had the worst homicide rate of all of them. Eight shootings in Baltimore this weekend. Two people were killed. One homicide This past spring, Alethea's cousin was one of the people who died. Alethea has lost several relatives to gun violence. Fourteen people were shot in ten incidents, all on the west side of the city. But as one of Ms. Shirelle's students reminded everyone... Baltimore ain't all good, but it ain't all bad either. Right. It's not... 
if it was really that bad, we all wouldn't be sitting here today. Mm-hmm. It, it's good, too. It is. We heard that from almost everyone we talked to in Baltimore. The city should have so much going for it, but so much has gone wrong. Baltimore is the kind of place that is full of green shoots coming through the hard cement. It's a great city with great potential, but it's not living up to it right now. So much potential. Incredible potential. And a people that's more resilient than any people I've ever seen. It's a city that has been held back, maybe doomed even, by its inability to come to terms with segregation. From the Vox Media Podcast Network, this is The Impact, a show about how policy affects people's lives. I'm Sarah Cliff. Today on the show, even with all its potential, Baltimore is a really hard place to live. Deeply segregated, with large sections of the city dominated by poverty and violence. So... Baltimore is running a policy experiment, helping some longtime residents move out of the city to the suburban counties nearby. The program presents residents like Alethea with an option. Should they stay or should they go? My producer, Jillian Weinberger, tells the story. For 40 years, a handful of brick towers loomed over East Baltimore, 11 stories tall. These were the Lafayette Court's high-rises. They opened with the pastor's blessing in 1955. At the time, Baltimore City officials claimed they had desegregated public housing. In fact, 99% of Lafayette's original residents were Black. This was part of a deliberate plan by the city. It was so overtly racist and so overtly segregationist. This is Barbara Samuels. I'm the uh, managing attorney for fair housing at the Maryland ACLU. In the early 90s, an ACLU law clerk found a document at the National Archives. It was called Effects of the Postwar Program on Negro Housing, and it was written by Baltimore's Housing Authority in 1945. Basically about how we've got to redevelop the inner city areas more densely and build more public housing in there to contain the black population in those areas. Lafayette Courts was part of that plan. Fast forward 50 years, and the housing complex had a lot of problems, especially drugs and shootings. So the city decided to move all the residents out, to demolish the towers and start over. On August 20th, 1995, Lafayette Courts came down. Samuels was working with a bunch of residents, and she said the city had some ideas on where to move them. But our clients who lived in Lafayette Courts looked at those locations and said, what? You know, they want us to go out of the frying pan and into the fire because they were located in deeply segregated neighborhoods, including some of the neighborhoods with the highest rates of crime and violence. Basically just a continuation of the mistakes of the past. Samuels worked with the coalition to negotiate with the housing commissioner and the mayor. Her clients talked about what it was like to live in places like Lafayette Courts. 
and why they didn't want the city to rehouse them in similar neighborhoods. People who talked about how they had to to put their kids on the floor because people were running up and down the street and the alley outside their window shooting. Or their kids were standing at the window and saw a man shot down right outside and ran from the window screaming. Samuel says the negotiations with the city went nowhere. So the ACLU of Maryland decided to sue the agencies they thought were responsible, ranging from the city of Baltimore to the Federal Department of Housing and Urban Development, or HUD. We filed it in January, the end of January 1995. This lawsuit went on for nearly two decades. Eventually, a judge found HUD liable. So Samuels and her team had to negotiate a settlement. And part of that settlement was... The mobility program. This is the policy experiment to help desegregate Baltimore. The mobility program was modeled on a similar effort in Chicago. The idea was that families in the poorest parts of the city would sign up for a voucher to move to areas with more opportunities. Jobs, better schools, green space. In November 2012, the federal court in Baltimore held a hearing to make sure the settlement was fair. That morning... The courtroom totally filled up and... Standing out in the hall and looking out the window, we could see this line forming, hundreds of people long. And somehow the rumor had been out there that if you came to the hearing, you could get one of these vouchers. Baltimore residents were clearly excited about this program. The vouchers weren't rolling out that day. It was just a rumor. But Samuels' staff was running around, getting contact information for everyone in line. They wanted to send them applications. But even if their applications got accepted, that didn't mean they'd get a voucher. There are a lot of steps in between, including Ms. Sherelle's workshops. I congratulate you all. I know that you all waited, some of you, a little while to come in. Am I right? When she says a little while, that's kind of an understatement. Some people have waited more than a year to be here. This is Orientation, where I met Alethea. It's the first of seven workshops. After that, there's... Going for your goals. Banking and budgeting, credit building and repair, home maintenance... Landlord-tenant relations. And then conducting a successful housing search. All of these workshops happen in downtown Baltimore. The vast majority of clients live in the city, some in public housing, some not but all in neighborhoods with a lot of poverty. Almost all of the participants are Black. So why would you make this move? Because you're moving away from the areas of urban blight, of people having lower income, and moving into areas where people have invested into those areas to sustain them. Areas where people do have higher incomes. The program calls those opportunity areas. They use a bunch of data to map out regions in and around Baltimore, regions that have job opportunities, and schools with a lot of resources. And because this is a program to alleviate segregation... It is an area of 30% minority and 10% poverty. What Ms. Shirell is saying is that most people here will be moving to areas that are whiter and richer, into the counties surrounding Baltimore. To be part of the program, they'll have to stay in those areas for at least two years. 
And Ms. Shirell makes clear there are a lot of good reasons to move. First off, it's about safety. Live in an area where when you're coming in later or you're going out early, you feel like you're a little bit safer than where some of us live at now, right? I sat up front during orientation close to Alethea, and I watched her nod along through this speech. Better schools. Children are more likely to go off to college. That's a great thing. That's Alethea chiming in there. She's excited about college. We have families that have been in their original property for 10, 12, 13 years. Their kids are now county kids, right? You know, the, the term county kid. They come into the city and it's a whole strange world to them. And they're like, okay, I'm ready to go home. <laughs> too many sirens, too much going on. They get used to the peace, the quiet. To find that peace and quiet, the program works with landlords in the suburbs of Baltimore. A lot of these clients are coming from public housing. They've never had a landlord on the private market before. That's why there's a whole workshop dedicated to dealing with landlords. They have huge expectations, but then they also sit in the world of the (coughs) myths that people have of a voucher holder. Voucher holders just want somebody to pay their rent. Voucher holders don't take care of their kids. Going through the workshop series, talking about what best way to deal with your landlord, the neighborhood, your neighbors, gives you an idea or the ability to get rid of those myths. Because we need to really and truly let the world know a voucher holder is just a regular person. He had to just live just as well as everybody else, right? Those myths have a lot to do with racism and poverty. The United States has a long history of tying class to personal responsibility. And American politicians worry a lot about poor families becoming dependent on government help. For too long, our welfare system has undermined the values of family and work. Trapped in a cycle of welfare dependency. If I'm president, I'll put work back in welfare. Poverty is largely a state of mind. The Baltimore vouchers are a government program. You have to be low income to qualify. But you also need to have a clean slate. When it comes to criminal backgrounds, there can be no violent criminal activity or convictions in the past five years. There also can be no drug-related criminal convictions in the last five years. No registered sex offenders are allowed, and no one convicted of meth production in public housing. So nobody could have had a meth lab down in public housing and got caught, right? Good. That is the criminal side, but there's more. So if you live in public housing or you were attached to public housing, it's important. They're going to ask you to bring a ledger, get that ledger to show that there's no evictions and that you don't owe any debts. All debts to housing authority will have to be paid off in full. So the program has some strict requirements, including the workshops themselves. The workshops are either 9 to 11 or 1.30 to 3.30. You don't get a choice. This makes sense from the program's perspective. Ms. Shirell and her colleagues are moving hundreds of people through the program at once. They don't have the resources to work around everyone's schedule. At the same time, it's really hard to take time off work every week in the middle of the day. 
Alethea had to rearrange her schedule to be there. If you want to get through it, it's something you'll put the time and the energy into. Alethea planned to stick with it. I met her at her home a few weeks later. Yeah, how's it going? All right, can't complain. <laughs> her living room was crowded with two overstuffed couches and a wide flat screen TV. Alethea and I settled into one of the couches in front of a window framed with sheer curtains. Did you get a haircut? Just a little bit right here on this part, but I ain't really cut it coming. Alethea is 41 years old. She dresses in bright colors. The day I came by, she had on turquoise pants and a multicolored blouse. She has this really warm, toothy smile. Alethea moved around a lot as a kid. Her dad was in the army. Her family eventually settled in Baltimore, but her dad died of a heart attack when she was 13. Alethea and her mom didn't really get along. It wasn't really my decision <laughs> to leave home at 14. My grandmother and my family said what it was my mother never wanted a girl. Alethea moved in with her grandma and then into her own apartment. When she was 16, she gave birth to her oldest daughter. She had her younger daughter a few years later. Even with all of that, she finished high school and got an associate's degree. She later got married. But she says her husband was controlling and emotionally abusive. That's one of the reasons why we're only using her first name. After she got married, she says he hung their marriage license up in their home. So he came home and he literally put the paper in my face, hung it and made sure I see it every day and kept saying, I own you now and I got papers on you. He got very aggressive. The marriage didn't last long. After the divorce, Alethea tried to go back to school to get her nursing degree, but with her kids and work, it was too much. Bill started falling behind, so I got evicted for like a couple of dollars. I was only a couple of dollars short. I think it was like $24 and $48 fee for something. It was changed. She ended up living out of a van with her daughters. Eventually, friends took her in. She saved some money and ended up here, on the edge of West Baltimore. Now she has a young son, Jeremiah. Her daughters, Destiny and Tasia, are grown up and live nearby. Alethea was hoping for a place in Carroll County, about 30 miles northwest of Baltimore. Carroll County has single-family homes with at least one acre or more of land. So your kids can play out in the backyard and stuff. And looking into jobs, better jobs, better pay. The schools are excellent from reading the reviews, talking to a few people that live out there and kids that go to the schools. So I'm looking to take advantage of all opportunities for me and my family. That same day, I followed Alethea to another workshop. It's called Going for Your Goals. And we're going to give you some tools that you can take away that you can hopefully use beyond just getting to the voucher. Alethea has a lot of goals. When we met, she was working at a hotel, but she left that job in late May. Now she works a bunch of different side gigs. She has a small moving and hauling business with her daughters. She prints T-shirts for events. And she's taking online classes. She told the workshop all about it. Miss Sherelle seemed impressed. Yeah. You know, Baltimore is made up of what? Hustlers. Yes. We can hustle, man. If we can't do nothing else. Exactly. You can find a hustle. Yes. That is your main source of income. With that in mind, Miss Sherelle walked her students through setting goals. She asked a few to read them aloud. I put, I want to be better at saving money. My goal is um, I have to maintain sobriety. I have an issue with that. I want to be able to save money so 
if anything come up, I'll be able to take care of it, you know. This workshop took two hours in the middle of the afternoon on a sunny Wednesday in May. I'm sure a lot of these clients had somewhere else they needed to be. But they all seemed really engaged and maybe even inspired. Alicia seemed to be. She still had one more workshop to go, but she was so excited the end was near, we went house hunting. Alicia had three places lined up, and she had a plan for how to approach potential landlords. Get the tour and get the information and then submit your stuff. They'll try to just tell you, like, no, they don't take the voucher when you already know that they take the voucher if they wanted limited numbers of, you know, voucher holders. How do you feel about the fact that they might not want voucher holders? Well, it don't really bother me, I understand, because, you know, one person can mess it up for the next or anything. So, to me, I just don't throw it at them. And then when you do your application, I just let them know. The first place was about a half hour from Alethea's current house in an apartment complex in Baltimore County, just north of the city. It had tidy lawns, a fresh coat of paint, and a few neighbors outside enjoying the sun. I said, Jeremiah, I love this. Mm-hmm. A young white guy in khakis showed us around. He looked like he was in his very early 20s. He guided Alethea from his office to a golf cart and showed us the gym and then an apartment. It was a furnished model unit, well-maintained, with a small balcony. What did you think of the apartment we just saw? I'm leaning towards it, but they told us when we go out searching and stuff, don't just pop up and just say, yeah, or make a decision. Go back after you find it, and then we do the application and everything. So, And, and plus, I'm not going to be pressured under. I want to see a few more. We saw two other prospects that day. Apartment size of the house. Yeah. <laughs> did you see the inside of that closet? I like this one better because it was more space. On our way to the last place, I asked her about her current place in Baltimore. They want me to buy out the lease, so I need another month so I can make sure I get the money to buy out the lease. Mm. So they helped me up to move. Yeah. When when would your lease be up otherwise? Next year, in mm-hmm. April. But I figured they would let me out since it's raining in my room. Since <laughs> the roof leaking real bad give me the hardest way possible to get out this lease. Alethea's daughter, Destiny, joined us as we walked through the final model apartment of the day. Similar furniture, similar balcony. In the master bedroom, Destiny pointed up at the ceiling. Mom, look up, she said. The roof isn't leaking. Alethea finally picked up her voucher a few weeks later. Hello. Hi, Alethea. It's Jillian. Hi, how are you? So um, just how did it feel to get the voucher? It felt great. I guess I was the happiest person in the class. I said, y'all just understand. I was shouting and everything. I said, I've been waiting for this. I said, this is a breakthrough for me. Alethea had already started packing up her apartment. The excitement I heard in Alethea's voice was clear, and I saw that same excitement at the next workshop I attended. Ms. Shirell was handing out vouchers to another class. It felt kind of like a graduation. She called the clients up one by one. 
A lot of them hugged her or thanked her, except for this one woman in a yellow T-shirt. She's smiling, y'all. Y'all just don't see it. We'll call her Miss McGraw. Miss McGraw did not seem to be in the mood to celebrate, but she took her voucher and went back to her seat. Miss Shirell went into that day's presentation. A few final tips for living in the suburbs. Some communities at about 10, 11 o'clock, they believe that this is quiet time. If you go against that and it's in your lease, landlord, if he gets too many complaints, can then say that there's too many noise complaints and he could ask you to then be ready to vacate at the end of the lease term. So this gets real serious. Noise complaints are one of the biggest ones. Um, The others are just not abiding by certain rules that are common to certain people, but uncommon to some of us. Yes, ma'am. That is Miss McGraw, the unhappy client in the yellow shirt. Ma'am, do you not want to be here today? Not really. Okay, you can walk out if you want to without your voucher. I don't want it. Okay. Is there anything we can do? On this program? Yeah. I would like to know why do we got to still be in voucher programs to rent from people that don't even want us around, first off? We out there, they talking about we bringing that quality of living down. That's second off. Like, that's crazy. But y'all talking about y'all want us to better outside. I don't see how. Well, I've been around for a long time. So I've seen families flourish from this program. Hard? Yeah. Different? Yes. But I've seen families take the opportunity and go into a community where, yeah, they were welcomed. I'm not saying all. You may find ones that may not. You can hear Miss McGraw's classmates trying to get her to stay, but she is not convinced. The more people that you put in these opportunity areas, they claiming that we taking that in quality of living. Like, why should we have to live yeah, like that's that? Your, y'all that's trying to fix up. Why y'all not fixing them? I get it. I understand. But that's your opinion. It is. Okay. Miss McGraw walked out without her voucher. Wow. Okay, guys, let's just work together. We're gonna finish up today. Just like a big distraction. Everybody is not for us. It's okay. She just made me want mine even more. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Can we have Listen. Most of these clients come from neighborhoods with extreme poverty and violence. And a lot of those problems, they're the result of decades of racist, segregationist housing policies. So some residents are desperate to leave. And this program promises them a better life if they do. But it still puts a huge burden on people like Miss McGraw and Alethea. In order to go to better schools, to live in communities with parks and yards and job opportunities, they have to put up with neighbors and teachers and police officers who might not want them there, who treat them differently. Why should these clients have to carry that burden? Or as Miss McGraw put it, Y'all trying to fix us, why y'all not fixing them? We'll be right back. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge... 
that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome back. I approached Ms. Shirell after the workshop. I asked her about Ms. McGraw, the client who left without her voucher. And she said, look, I get it. We deal with discrimination in the neighborhoods, um, police officers, that profile. You hear it all. That's why these workshops are really good, because I get a chance to prepare them for it, to let them know it's not just you're going out there and the world's going to be rosy all the time. You know, your children may be looked at differently at times. What are you going to do about it? Are you willing to stay? Some families run back to the city. But, you know, I think the most determined people even weather those storms. She mentioned one client, a woman who had been in the same suburban house for more than a decade. She said it wasn't always easy, but it was worth it when her children got to the age where they're off to college and they've gone through the same schools with the same children. So, yeah, you know. I guess it's a trade-off. It is. It is a trade-off. It is a trade-off. Some people don't think it's a trade-off worth making. Hi, I'm here to see Bishop Miles. Thanks. Bishop Douglas Miles is a lifetime resident of Baltimore. I'm one of the few Baltimoreans who has roots on both sides of town. I spent part of my childhood in West Baltimore in the area known as Sandtown and the other part of my life in East Baltimore in the old Lafayette Court projects. Those are the tall high-rises that got destroyed in 1995. Bishop Miles went to Johns Hopkins, where he was one of only a few Black students in his class. He went into the ministry and eventually started his own church. He's now the bishop of Koinonia Baptist in East Baltimore. He's also a community organizer. He works out of a squat building next to his church. The inside looks like an old school. Drop ceilings, fluorescent lights, cinder block walls. Bishop Miles is tall and broad-shouldered, with graying hair and a mustache. He's had congregants who have been part of the housing mobility program. I think it's a double-edged sword. For some families, they've found it as an opportunity for upward mobility. For others, it's been very stressful. To understand why, he says you have to understand Baltimore. Baltimore's very parochial. People have grown up attached to specific neighborhoods. And when they're pulled out of those neighborhoods, they feel a great sense of feeling alienated where they are. But it's not just about neighborhoods. One of the most dominant issues in the Baltimore region is race. And I do not think that many people who have been relocated out of Baltimore have been prepared to face the level of discrimination they receive. He's also frustrated by the tone of the program, just like Ms. McGraw was before she stormed out. 
the assumption that's made about people who live in the city. The assumption is they do not know how to live. And I think that's an horrendous indictment of how uh, inner city dwellers are viewed. He remembers when Barbara Samuels, the ACLU attorney, filed the lawsuit against HUD back in 1995. My feeling was that HUD should have spent money building affordable housing in Baltimore. I asked Barbara Samuels about this, too. I'm wondering about, you know, taking people out of the city rather than trying to improve the city from within. I guess I'm curious how you think about that or if that's criticism you've encountered and how you've thought about it. Oh, only every time. I am definitely not the first person to ask her this question. I have to say, on sort of a moral level, the question always bothers me, as well as on a practical level. So we don't move people. People exercise their own agency and make their own decision to move, just like all the white people before them and the middle-class black people before them. And to me, I find it, really morally indefensible that we would try to deny or restrict the rights of the most vulnerable families, generally black women and children, to exercise the same housing choices that just about everybody else has already exercised. In other words, this program is not mandatory. People like Alethea can elect into it or not. Why not give them the option? But they should not have to uproot their whole lives just for the opportunity to have a better house or even a better school. And I think that's horrendous. Bishop Miles also sees the city changing, but only in certain areas and only for certain people. If you're a single or a yuppie couple professionals, there's plenty of housing available and and more being built almost every day in the downtown areas and other designated communities. If you're poor and you have a family, you have a problem finding affordable, decent housing. Some of the housing problems in Baltimore are similar to those in a lot of American cities. There are a few neighborhoods that look like gentrified parts of Brooklyn or D.C. Restored row houses, coffee shops, upscale restaurants, and a lot of upper-middle-class people, mostly white. Bishop Miles' congregants don't live in those neighborhoods. They haven't seen new construction or redevelopment. A recent study really drove this home. It found that banks are much more likely to deny home loans in Baltimore's majority Black neighborhoods compared to its white ones. There's been so much divestment in neighborhoods over the years that has created this, the situation we currently face. This did not happen overnight. Samuels agrees divestment has been a huge problem in Baltimore, but it's really hard to fix those problems without bringing in gentrification. And for now, in most Baltimore neighborhoods... We have a problem of concentrated poverty. We have a problem of disinvestment. We have a problem of abandonment in vacant houses. We don't know how to turn that around. Not for lack of trying. Samuels mentioned a major project from the 90s in Sandtown, Winchester. That's where Bishop Miles was born. It's where Freddie Gray lived. And it's where parts of the uprising happened after Gray died in a police van in 2015. In the 90s, there was a huge effort to transform the neighborhood, 
through housing. A Maryland developer invested a bunch of money. So did the city and the federal government. All told, public and private officials spent at least $130 million. And today, it is still one of the poorest neighborhoods with the highest rates of unemployment, the highest rates of abandonment, the most population loss. There are a lot of opinions on why the investment didn't work. Some argue the investment wasn't big enough. There were so many problems in Sandtown, Winchester, especially after the crack epidemic. Residents needed housing, but they also needed jobs and drug treatment and health care. The economic revitalization investors hoped for didn't happen. And in Baltimore... We rank dead last, 100 out of 100 in economic mobility for poor kids. There just aren't, unfortunately, sadly, reasons that we can tell that mother and her kids that if they stay there in three years or five years or ten years, it's going to get better. And in the meantime, their kids only have one childhood, and they're living there. And that is why Alethea was so happy to get her voucher. In early October, she and her daughters finished packing up the apartment in Baltimore. How long have you been packed up like this? Um, I've been like this for a couple weeks. Come on, we got to load this truck and call it a day. They packed up an enormous U-Haul and drove it over to the new house in Anne Arundel County. The new place is just a 20-minute drive, but there are a lot of differences. I compared Alethea's new neighborhood to her old one on this map called the Opportunity Atlas. It looks at all kinds of data, class, race, employment, and I found that her new neighborhood has people with higher incomes, a much lower poverty rate, and way more job growth. Her new neighborhood is also much more mixed racially. It's about 50-50, white and non-white. Her old neighborhood in Baltimore, it was about 95% non-white. I met Alethea at her new place a few weeks after the move. How are you? I'm good, how are you? I'm doing well, good to see you. Her new place is a condo in a tree-filled development off a main road. Yeah, I kind of straightened up a little bit, so. It looks great in here. There's much more space with big windows and thick carpeting. The dining room fits a table for six. The living room holds two couches and a TV with room to spare. There are two full bathrooms, one for Alethea and one for her son. It's decorated with his current obsession. He's been wanting everything Spider-Man. The shower curtain That's and everything. That's what my daughter brought him for his birthday. We settled down at her dining room table and I asked her how she's doing. I really love it. It's comfortable. Jeremiah seemed like he loved it. Yeah, I was like, we going to my new house? We're going to my new house, Mama? Like, yes, we're going to the new house, Jeremiah. She likes her neighbors. All them come, introduce themselves and everything, welcome you to the neighborhood. She trusts her landlord. He texts from time to time, hi, is everything okay? Just check it. But the biggest change is safety. Remember, in her old place... I would, you know, keep most of the lights on. I didn't like the sliding glass doors. To me, that was easy for someone to come in the house. So a lot of the times, if I'm in there by myself, I'll just sleep on the couch or sleep in the living room. Or I, I was always coming down throughout the night, checking out the house, making sure nobody broke the glass to get in. But in her new place? I don't get up. My room is way in the back. And I just love to just sit here, like where I'm sitting at now. I love to just 
unwind, just relax. I am comfortable. <laughs> Alethea has moved around so much. There's been a lot of upheaval in her life. And you can hear it in her voice. She feels settled in her new house. Turns out, this is pretty typical. I talked to a sociologist from Johns Hopkins who studied this program, and she found that most of the participants are really happy in their new homes. They feel safer, less stressed, and that gives them more time and energy to be good parents and employees and neighbors. It unlocks a lot of potential. And the majority of participants have stayed in opportunity areas, even after the two years required by the program. But what Ms. McGraw said was still weighing on my mind. I wanted to know what Alethea thought about it. She wasn't in the workshop that day. And she said, you know, why are you trying to fix us? Why are you not fixing them? Wow. Alethea told me she's seen a lot of people go through programs like this one. Person is a voucher holder. You have to also look at yourself. Not saying you should put on a different face or character. You should always be yourself. But sometimes they're not open-minded to try to change or, you know, make their life better. They just want to keep doing the same things that they're doing. In other words, there are some people who don't want to change. Alethea made clear she does. She was willing to move to make it happen, especially for Jeremiah's sake. I used to always say I'm not racist before I say this. I always would say I want to bring them up with the white people. She means her kids bring her kids up with the white people. Because they're better schools, better living, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And if we start living on an even mixed or biracial level and stop thinking that we have to be separated, then things will work out better. When Alethea said white people have better schools and neighborhoods, that's not because white people just happen to make certain choices. It's because white people have more wealth, in part because of government-sponsored segregation. Years of racist policies have led to more opportunities in white or racially integrated neighborhoods. And that means where children grow up matters a lot for how they do as adults. That's why so many of the people in this program are moms like Alethea, with young children like Jeremiah. Jeremiah has a much better shot at getting ahead in his new neighborhood compared to his old one. So Baltimore is running this policy experiment moving people out of the city to places with more opportunities. More than 4,000 people have moved with this program since it started. But there are 15,000 people on the wait list. Tens of thousands more are left behind in Baltimore. Barbara Samuels would say that, sadly, unfortunately, we don't have a lot of good ways to revitalize neighborhoods like Alethea's and Miss McGraw's and Freddie Gray's without gentrifying them and making them unaffordable. She is trying, though. The ACLU of Maryland has fought for affordable, decent housing in Baltimore, just like Bishop Miles. Alethea shouldn't have to wait around while we figure out how to improve cities from within. Jeremiah should have the same opportunities as every other kid. But if all these opportunity areas are outside of Baltimore, what's left behind for everyone else? Jillian Weinberger is the senior producer for our show. Our editor is Amy Drozdowska, and our producer is Bird Pinkerton. 
This episode was mixed and scored by Jared Paul. Our theme song is by Jukebox the Ghost, and other music in this episode is from Noam Hassenfeld, Chris Zabriskie, APM, Poddington Bear, and Blue Dot Sessions. A big thank you to Bridget Armstrong for her editorial feedback on this episode. And thank you to Allison Rocky, Pete Symbolic, Stephanie DeLuca, and Richard Rothstein, who also helped us out a lot. We always want to hear from you. Tell us what you thought about this episode, what you're thinking about our season. You can email us at impact at We love to hear what you think. <laughs>